Welcome to Mother Up. I'm Gianna Demedio simon And I'm Casey McDonald-Hosmer, and we are moms who absolutely love our new roles in life. But man, were we not prepared for some of the fine print in the job description. This motherhood thing is hard, especially balancing being a mom while still trying to be you. We find it crazy that after only a six-week consult with your doc, you're basically hung out to dry and have to figure out this tiny human and this new version of you practically alone. There are so many demands for taking care of a baby, but taking care of yourself is essential and sometimes falls by the wayside. We want a connection with our children and our partner that doesn't come at the cost of the relationships with our own selves. So you may be feeling down, but we're here to help you mother up because no one's tougher than a mother. We're using our firsthand experiences and our connections to experts across the country to bring you ways to feel confident, beautiful, and still vulnerable. And listen, we're new to the game, so we'll be learning right along with you. So pour that coffee. Or mimosa. We won't tell. It's time to mother mother up. up. Erin is here. Longtime Philly friend. Uh, Over a decade now, you were at my wedding, which is so funny. It's like Gianna and I were attached to the hip when I was in Philly. And then you and me and Sana were out all the time in Philly. And no, I don't know how I didn't meet you. We never crossed paths. And she said, yeah. she's like, oh, yeah, she was at my wedding. Did you meet her there? I was like, Casey, there were 8,000 people at your wedding. No, I didn't meet her. 300. <laughs> we think we cured COVID with that wedding. It was kind of a super spreader event. We think we single-handedly beat Omicron with that gathering. But who am I to, I to know? Mean, You're I to know. After that. She did. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I did, but I, I've, I've, I've had COVID. I think I just had COVID again, like a week ago. So I think I've had COVID four times, two of which were during my pregnancy with Jack. So I don't know. And I'm, I'm super asymptomatic. And that's something we can talk to you about. I have um, O positive blood. So I, there, there are just, I, people have been grasping at straws to explain COVID for now going on what, th- going on four years. So I think that it's like one of those things where I've heard that over and over, like, oh, if you have O positive blood or O blood, you don't have symptoms as as badly as, oh, those AB people. I I don't know what it Mm -hmm. is, but there's like something. Is there anything to that? Yeah, no. Um, That's a fantastic rumor that that went around, (laughs) but um, no, there's nothing to that. Uh, Dang Tic Tac. the the good thing is with with covid with the omicron variant many otherwise healthy individuals were asymptomatic completely asymptomatic so that's the good news with omicron same question about bug bites is it does it have to do with your blood type because i oh, swear the mosquitoes my, bite you because you have sweet blood daughter and i <laughs> will get ripped up and my husband doesn't get one thing yeah so that actually is not nothing to do with blood type it has to do with hormones so uh, testosterone oh. is a deterrent, and that's why also kids, boys and girls, prepubescent, so before the testosterone goes crazy, are more susceptible to bug bites, and so are women. Men, not as bad. So lucky them. That's an Gianna, unfair Gianna thing. also does shave her legs, so it is path of least resistance <laughs> to the 
point of entry. <laughs> My gosh. Is this like, you know how like when you're hunting and they say you have to like take like deer urine and like hunters rub it on themselves to attract the deer. Can I take testosterone and rub it all over oh, my body God. to make sure that I don't get bug bites? Cause it's like not Well, okay. I told you my corner of Instagram, everyone's putting slapping beef tallow all over themselves. So maybe oh, that would gosh. work. Maybe you could just use that as a moisturizer. <laughs> it's anti-aging. <laughs> I definitely would not recommend smearing testosterone because it might defeat the purpose of shaving the legs. Then, (laughs) Gianna like comes on next week with a mustache. Listen, I like um and chops down her face. Oh yeah, no. There are some days I would most likely be willing to have like full hairy legs if it meant that I wasn't getting any bug bites. So I don't know. Well, we're also Italian. So that's, that is like every other day. Wait, I do. (laughs) I want to go back to, because Gianna, Dr. Zagoni talked about this um, when we had her on in October and she talked about how people who got COVID aged backward, like aged in reverse, like some kind of regenerative something or other. Fasting. She said, when you're very sick, you're not eating as much. And the fasting was actually promoting a reverse in biological aging. Are you seeing that? So I'd have to go over the science behind that in my head with fasting and, and reversal of aging. Um, so if you separate the COVID out and you say, okay, fasting reverses aging, I'm sure there were studies done on that, but I would go with no. Maybe like cell turnover or something. So the only thing that kind of makes sense with that is in general, as Americans, our diets are terrible. What we put in our bodies is terrible. I mean, just thinking about what I had today and and some of the stuff that I even feed my kids, I'm like... Oh my! I like I cringe as I'm as I'm giving well, you it have to them. two preteen boys, so you just have to like they run, yeah. and you just have yeah. to like hit moving targets with burritos. Like it's not, oh my God. it's not They're your fault. Endless trash cans. It's it's amazing. I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, is it second dinner or third dinner tonight? So definitely giving your your metabolism a break from from processing foods seems to uh, improve health overall, and that improves aging. Also, when you think about um, reduced uh, carb load, so again, with fasting, giving your metabolism a break and and um, the bio, the gut uh, biodome that we have, it's anything that reduces inflammation, again, reverses aging potentially, but nothing to do with COVID, I don't think. But Having better diet and exercise Mm -hmm. and in general, a better diet um, and maybe partial fasting may be good for reversing aging or keeping a better overall health. I think that's a safe, a safe statement. I don't think people fully understand. I, I know they don't fully understand how difficult it is to become a doctor. Yeah, it's extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. I mean, but you take out being a doctor, even if you're working 80 hours a week and you're barely sleeping or you're pulling 36 hour shifts in the hospital, there are moments where you get a break. There are days that you have off that you could sleep. Of course, it took me no time to realize that it was easier for me to just stay in the hospital when I wanted to sleep than rather come home uh, and be woken up every five minutes by a screaming baby. Um, So I frequently did that. I would just stay in the hospital. But that's the main difference between being a mom and and being a doctor, uh, even a resident where you're working 80 hours a week, where 
as a mom, you can't even go to the bathroom without your your kid. You can't take a shower yeah. without your kid. What, what yeah. kind of like crippling mom guilt did you feel? I kept telling myself, I do not feel guilty because if I was home right now with my kid, I, I'm not a good parent. I'm sleep deprived. I'm cranky. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm stressed. Um, and I have no patience. And I'd rather someone that has slept well the night before and has a lot more patience than I do take care of this baby right now because I would not I would not be good at it at this time. But I also one of the things that I also mentioned and I, I talk about this, but um, with my first kid, I had a lot of postpartum depression, a lot. And that definitely affected my my work and my home life. And uh, mm-hmm. everything that you read in medical school and residency about postpartum depression wasn't true for me. I, I had a very mm. supporting, loving family husband. At the time, I lived a few blocks from my parents. They, My mom helped me whenever, whenever I needed it. Uh, I had 24-hour, six-day-a-week live-in help. So it had so nothing to do with So did you psych yourself that. out of it for a while? Like, did you tell yourself like, Sharon, we're good. Like we are checking all the boxes. We've got the help. Baby's good. Like, like, was there like a psychological battle you had with yourself? Cause I would, I know I would be like, well, you're selfish. Why did you have this baby? Like, you know, like go into that, like self-talk that you have. Or women often do that. You have nothing to be upset about right now. You have to look at all the help you have. You have nothing to make (laughs) you feel this way. No, no. I didn't think about any of that. And and that's one of the things. Oh, you're so strong. No, no, I didn't do it because I I didn't even realize that it was postpartum depression. I just thought Mm. clearly there's something wrong with me. I'm missing that mom gene where I don't want to be home with my baby. Oh, and um, I just you felt like I'm detached. Yeah, complete, completely detached. And um, I mean, I worried about him every second of every day. I thought for sure my baby nurse is going to kidnap him. And <laughs> I feel like everyone, every mother eventually goes through that. I still that, think that. Um, that feeling, I right, think someone's right, going like to climb in the window at night. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I literally, I just thought I was losing my mind. There was no rhyme or reason for how I felt. And I just thought I was so busy with work that I didn't even have a second to think. It was just yeah. taking care of patients until I came home and had to take care of my baby. And then I felt like I wasn't doing a good job definitely not taking care of my baby. And thank God I had other people around me. And I kept thinking that, that, you know, well, at least someone else can give him love because I feel like I'm so removed from him. And I feel guilty about that now for sure. Cause I had a very different experience with my second. Uh, and it really took me until my second kid to realize how bad my postpartum depression was with my first. I was just going to ask that. Like, when did you, when did it click for you? Like, oh, wait, this is me. And then really what pulled you out of it? Or do you think it was just time and experience? It was time. It, it really was just time and, um, and removal from that period, just perspective of, and, and it was strange because all of my friends that had kids were telling me, oh my God, don't you feel so attached? Don't you feel like you would do anything for this baby? Don't you just love him to death and feel like, you know, he's a part of you. And in my mind, I rationalized it. I, um, I went through IVF and I thought, and I kept saying, he's not my kid. This is not my kid. They, they mixed up the embryo. I have someone else's embryo. It's oh someone else's gosh. child. Wow. My husband was like, 
let's do a DNA test. I'm like, no, because then we're going to prove that he's not ours. Then what are we going to do? We're going to be stuck with someone else's baby and we're going to know for a fact that he's not ours. I mean, it it just went so far beyond normal. Catastrophizing. I didn't hit, I didn't meet any of the criteria for somebody to be concerned about this. And of course I kept all my thoughts to myself because I realized how crazy I sounded, you know, but also being in the, in the medical community, I know things can happen as rare as they are. You know, as rare as it is for an embryo to be implanted in the wrong parent, I kept thinking, but it happens. And maybe that's me. And maybe this kid's not mine. And I kind of use so that what, as a detach. What's in short a message you would send to a mom listening right now who's like, wait, that's me. Like, I am feeling these same things. Like, what, what do you want to tell her? Get help. Get help. Talk, talk to a professional about this. The, the feelings are there. You can't and you shouldn't um, rationalize yourself out of it. It's not doing a service to your child, and it's definitely not doing a service to, to you if you if you feel this way. And um, and there are trained professionals to deal exactly with this with postpartum depression. I love that you can't rationalize yourself out of it. Yeah, that's like something that we all are like, no, no, no I got this. Yeah, like I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I see you. We'll be fine. Yeah, it's like no, no, no. A lot of that, there's so much that's going on in the brain, as you just shared, in terms of like, oh my God, is this even my child? Or am I okay? Or can I handle this? Can I not? Blah, blah, blah. But we talk so much about mom brain too, about like, oh, I don't remember anything from certain periods of the postpartum or the the forgetfulness is rampant and your brain is kind of just focused, hyper-focused, if you will, on certain things. How much of what we call mom brain is actual like physiological effects of the body of birth and pregnancy? Are there like scientific things that we can point to that you've seen in your studies? And if there oh, aren't, lie. No, Sharon, no, there lie. are. There are. <laughs> is real. Just like I hate comparing it to this, but but it's the closest comparison. But chemo brain. Um, and a lot mm. of people kind of understand chemo brain. Like if you're going through chemotherapy and your and your body is being blasted with exhaustion, there's a certain amount of inflammation that happens in our in our brains, and uh, we can't focus. And there is this cloud and this and this haze. Um, that we suffer with. And actually with COVID, we're realizing it more and more. And, and in the community, in the medical community, we're, we're starting to attribute a lot of these, a lot of what people are telling us as you're not crazy. This is something that's happening. But with COVID, a lot of people experience something that Women everywhere have been experiencing since the beginning of time. Bomb brain, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. my God, it it basically it's from the second uh there's an embryo developing inside of you until at least six months postpartum, where everything is kind of hazy and blurry. Um, sleep is off, you're so tired, you can't function. I mean, I would I would fall asleep standing up. I yeah. fell asleep taking a test when I was pregnant, you know, um, <laughs> I, that's not normal. You don't fall asleep taking, taking a standardized test. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same thing that, that people on chemotherapy suffer from, but it's definitely real. There's no doubt about it. And it's crazy that there's no, like nothing that can really be done to help that. I think, you know, I was sharing with Dr. Stoll that I had the hyperemesis gravidarum, which I've talked about on this podcast. and 
the sickness was awful, the vomiting, the nausea, all of that. But sometimes almost what I felt was worse was the debilitating fatigue because there was there was no like anything that I could take mm-hmm. to try yeah. to help that. And especially and when I you remember- had Sienna, like when when you were pregnant with Sienna, it's one thing, but then having a full child. Oh, yeah. That needs you is another layer. Yeah. When I'm pregnant and I physically can't open my eyes. I mean, so many days that I just laid there and was like, I just need to lay here with my eyes closed. Like, that's how much pain my body is in. And yeah. every single doctor I met with was just like, well, we're sorry. Like, that's pregnancy. And that's yeah. just insane. The one thing that I would say to moms listening that, that have exactly that, that have that mom brain, that debilitating fatigue, and they're running after uh, another child um, cut yourself slack. I mean, that's the best thing to do because we all know that giving a kid screen time or, or sitting a kid in front of something or locking them in like one of those baby cages. Uh, I hate using that term. <laughs> What's a we better call term? It the Thunderdome here. The Thunderdome. Thunderdome. <laughs> Putting them right, in the Thunderdome right. and throwing in every single possible <laughs> toy. You know, don't worry about overstimulating them or even if, God forbid, you have to give them a screen. Do whatever you can to to help yourself. I think that's that should be a, a, a big takeaway um, from from all of this, that you can go to the doctor, you can listen to recommendations. You know, we have lots and lots of years of experience, but unfortunately, when you're living in it, it's very different than reading about it. And honestly, as as mothers, we want to do what's best for our kids and we want to and we want to be the best mom possible. But sometimes being the best mom possible means taking care of you first because your kid is not, your kid's going to be the one that suffers. It's a domino effect onto everybody else in your family. Gee, you've done naturopathic or attempted naturopathic remedies when you were sick, right? Like, didn't you do uh, acupuncture? No, it's funny because you said that in the other episode too. And I was like, did I? I don't think I did. You know what happened? The, the, um, the what you call it timelines we shifted and that was another reality that happened that I'm remembering <laughs> for some reason and uh, we're Your on a different brain we're in a different that no I we shifted we shifted realms I have a question <laughs> for the neurologist oh, well, on the way, podcast I love acupuncture I'm just gonna put okay. it out there okay. I've never done acupuncture. it I've never done it before but there is such a shift and I'm sure you're seeing it of like the naturopathic the eastern medicine the ancient medicine the functional yeah. medicine so. You were talking about with mom brain when Gianna brought this up. You're not crazy. People are saying you're not crazy. So where do these alternative medicines come in? Frequencies, meditation, manifesting. Like how important is that and how legit is that? This is something that actually I studied a lot in medical school and after medical school. Being I'm a I'm a DO, I'm an osteopathic physician and one of the reasons I am a DO is because I love connecting the two. Western and Eastern medicine, but more importantly, the body, you have to look at the body as a whole and not as, as different organ systems, which is something that unfortunately Western medicine is very, very good at doing. It's, we're going to separate the brain. We're going to separate the heart. We're only going to function. We're only going to think about this one system. And that's something that you can't do. Everything's connected. So that's where functional medicine comes in. And that's also where um, a holistic approach and a more naturopathic approach comes in. So something that that I talk a lot about with with my patients. So I'm a neuroimmunologist, meaning I 
I'm a specialist in the brain and the spinal cord, um, but also in the immune function of, of that. And when you're looking at the immune function of the brain and the spinal cord, that's where the rest of the body comes in. Because again, you can, you can think about the immune system, but it's the immune system's uh, effect on everything else. So anything, so one of the, one of my theories is that, um, with certain illnesses like COVID and there are other viruses also, um, it revs up the immune system and that's what wreaks havoc on, on the brain and causes a lot of these, mm. uh, the, uh, the fog, the haze, the, um, the clouding, uh, difficulty getting words out. Uh, difficulty staying awake in the middle of the day, even though you slept Taste, 12 hours smell. before. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that anything that reduces that inflammation, and that can be something as simple as having better control over your blood pressure and your heart rate um, can affect. And that's where meditation, <laughs> acupuncture, things like that come in and have a very, very, very strong uh, connection with. So there are numerous studies that look at acupuncture and overall the studies are not positive. They're not, it's not, oh, acupuncture definitely cures this or solves this. That's not what it shows. What it does show, which is interesting, is that real acupuncture and fake acupuncture are both effective at treating a lot of issues, right? So that's where, you know, you can have somebody that says, oh, well, I'm skilled and I'm more skilled than that person that studied in America because I studied in, in this Chinese institution and my acupuncture is more real. Okay, that's great. Fantastic. But what it shows is that acupuncture, no matter what you're doing it for, if it in improves your, basically your fight or flight response, that, uh, you know, the heart's racing, blood pressure is going up. If it improves that and helps regulate that, I think that's, that's the goal. And that's also the goal mm -hmm. with meditation and yoga and, um, and anything else in that realm. So you talked about how these viruses can basically like attack the system and then like the inflammation goes up and everything goes up and, and that's what we're seeing some of these responses. Is it, would it, be fair to say that sometimes pregnancy can ignite that in the body too? Yeah, 100%. And um, it's, it's interesting you say that. So pregnancy, a lot of people with autoimmune diseases realize that when they're pregnant, their autoimmune diseases calm down. And some people hmm. are oh. like, oh, that's interesting. Like I have MS, I have rheumatoid arthritis, I have um, psoriasis, and they're all better with pregnancy. And some people are like, I wonder why that is. It's because the baby is, is basically a virus. So think about mm -hmm. that, okay? Here you have a foreign object that your immune system is like, do I attack it? Do I leave it? What do I do? I feel like I shouldn't kill this, this um, pathogen that's growing inside of, of, you know, of me. And taking all my nutrients. Uh, yeah. <laughs> taking all my nutrients, right. But that's basically what it is. The baby is, is you know, a virus. Um, and, and that's why your immune system, people with autoimmune diseases, their immune system attacks them. So now the immune system oh, it's is distracted. Is exactly. Look over here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's just kind of hanging back and waiting, um, and watching and seeing what's going to happen, but it's less, it doesn't attack you as much. So a lot of people with autoimmune diseases that, Otherwise, when they're not pregnant, they're tired and they have brain fog and they um, have difficulty walking. Those symptoms actually improve. 
But for other people, it worsens. So, okay, now we have a reason for it. Now we know why <laughs> the body is reacting the way that it does sometimes. Right. We hear and a lot about- have headlines. Dr. Stoll believes uh, pregnancy <laughs> is a virus. Every mother is hosting a- Oh, I can't, I can't wait for the uh, rehearsal dinner for one of your sons. You'll be like- the, this little garbage can virus, he's really good at soccer, but let me tell you what. Yep, yep. <laughs> so we we hear often, or we, at least we've, we've started to hear about seven years, that you should give yourself seven mm-hmm. years to really come back, <laughs> which sounds crazy. And my son is nine months old, and I have to remind myself that Buckle sometimes. up, buttercup. Oh, my God. I mean, he is nine months old, and I have to tell myself that, like, at least weekly, like, bro, he's nine months old. You just had a baby less than a year ago. Like stop this negative self-talk, stop the pressure you're putting on yourself. So if we're hearing seven years or even just like three to five years, basically whatever the timeline is, because every woman is different, but giving yourself some time, what are your thoughts on how long it takes for a woman to come back and how much of that is focused like cognitively that it takes for women to come back? Oh my God. <laughs> you don't even want to know my thoughts. I can tell you oh, my okay. <laughs> Um my husband has this theory. So as much as I oh here's here's the next part. This is gonna get me in a lot of trouble. Um that basically I'll I'll keep it P PC. Imagine all of your mental energy is now going into raising a child and making sure that child stays alive. Correct. Imagine. Okay. okay. I'm imagining what that Imagine. might be like. Yes. <laughs> what okay. it's like. Right. And now, <laughs> now add another child to that and another child. And now you have three kids that you have to keep alive every day. Your mind never gets a break from thinking about your children and keeping them alive. And what do I have to make for dinner? What do I have to pack for lunch? What are they going to eat for breakfast? Do I have enough food? Do I have enough diapers? Do I have enough underwear? I just had to order $200 worth of uniform clothing this morning Yep. as I was filling something else out. And my kids, you would think that they're going to school naked. That's how much, that's how many pants and shirts I ordered for my kids because just watching them go out the, the door in the morning with holes everywhere Yeah, I was going to say $200 from those. I went to Catholic school. That's like what, like two pairs of pants and one polo and like maybe they'll throw in embroidering for you. No, no. This uniforms these days, or at least in my kid's school, it's uh, Old Navy and Children's Place. The shirts are $10 and the pants are like $12. Yeah, it's Well, Flynn and O'Hara was the one that would get you, but we would go to Gap and get like the navy blue polos and like my mom would just take it you know to the local embroiderer to do it but that's nice you got it girlfriend yeah no but <laughs> but um literally i had to order like four shirts and four pants for each kid because even though school just started so this is these are things that are constantly going through my head you think this is yeah. what my husband's thinking about you think my husband as he's going out the door in the morning is thinking about is there enough snacks Casey for their I, lunch? What for those dinner? listening, Casey and I are vigorously shaking our heads no. <laughs> right, right. No freaking way. No freaking yeah. way. So I feel like, you know, the image of Alan from The Hangover where he's like card counting and there's just like 
the numbers in front of him and everything's just going like that's what you're yeah. doing but then like you're also like making dinner yeah that's and, like, moms texting at every minute and- of the day <laughs> so with yeah. that i want to transition into the next question about you know some neuro issues being alzheimer's and dementia and what we've heard is you got to keep your brain active you got to do mind games you got to do this this that <laughs> play you know play card games when? keep keep, keep <laughs> no. your mind active being is being a mom, a mom And the things that we do, is that enough to ward off Alzheimer's? A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And that could be why there's a higher risk for men getting Alzheimer's than female, because Mm. our minds are constantly active. Um, Yeah, but definitely having all of that in your mind and, and pulling it up at every second of every day, absolutely, that is definitely keeping your mind active. Okay, wait. So I'm coming up with a great hack now based on what you just said. You can tell your husbands, honey, I really care about you and I don't want you to get Alzheimer's or dementia. So I feel like you need to take these 17 things off of my list and you need to do them to keep your mind. But how long is it going to take you to write down those 17 things? I know. And like, that's the problem. So going back to Alzheimer's, because Dr. Sol, Sharon and I have talked about this. There are big breakthroughs now for Alzheimer's, something that really not catapulted it. I mean, Alzheimer's ever, I think almost everyone, it's like cancer. Like, you know, somebody that's been, that's Mm -hmm. been, you know, touched by someone dealing with cancer or Alzheimer's, but you see Chris Hemsworth. So he found out through this, all this, um, testing that there is now that he's predisposed. I have the same thing. I have a slightly increased risk according to 23andMe, which I'm not going to get into that whole debacle. Debacle. But um, yeah, like what do you do besides like, like what can you do or what like medical things can you do? So right before you said what medical things can you do, I was going to say it sounds easy, but it's actually extremely, extremely difficult. And this is from a holistic approach and also from a medical approach. Honestly, I swear to God, it's eating better and exercising. And that's it. If you, and of course we can never be perfect, nor should we be perfect because then you're going to make yourself crazy with anytime you have something that's not healthy, but in general, anything that's good for the cardiovascular system. So cardiovascular health, we're talking Mediterranean diet, lots of green leafy vegetables, avoiding carcinogens like hamburgers, hot dogs, uh, red meats. McDonald's, fast foods, anything like that, or or reducing it. Um, is red meat really that bad? Role. It is. It really is. And and I say that as I'm thinking about what I'm going to feed my kids today for their third dinner, and it'll probably be hamburgers. <laughs> but honestly, for people that are predisposed, it's more important as we get older. But honestly, even our age range, where it's not a risk now, but this is where starting to make those changes mm-hmm. can really impact somebody later on. And then again, you know, now we're trying to remember 15,000 things in our minds for our kids to do. And not just now, but I just remembered, I also have to sign my kid up for summer camp this summer because it's going to get full again. See, all the summer things just are ended. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, you, know, you don't sign your kids up for some of these camps. That's it. They're full. They're full. By Thanksgiving, they're full. It's yeah. Where do your kids go? So God, every year somewhere else because my older one didn't like the camp last summer, and my little one is really attached, and I want him to go to sleepover camp this summer. Are they a sleepaway camp? My older one, yes. My younger one, not yet. Okay. 
I was yeah. a Camp Quebecer. Okay, nice. I love sleepover yeah. camp. Um, yeah, I was only allowed to go to tennis camp. I was never allowed to go to sleepover camp. Speaking about camp, um, lots of activities that kids do there. Does that freak you out at all as a mom, as a neurologist, as somebody that knows how sensitive and obviously vital the brain is? Are there activities that you get worried about your children doing or competing in or that like constant? Yeah. Like, is there a list of like, I will not let my child do X, Y, Z? So I come from a different perspective because my kids, my husband and I are very not athletic and our kids, God bless them, are still very not athletic. So even if they played things like football or baseball, it's, I mean, they're not getting past even high school level. Like, yeah. Well, what about like your, for your, for your patients, like for your patients who have like crazy athletic kids or, or any kids, like I've heard people say, I would not let my child ride an electric scooter. Ah, or like my okay. teen or, you know, like kids go to college and like they're drunk and they're like, oh, I'll just scooter home. And it's like, then you hit a curb. So funny. This summer, and I was actually in Europe last week, everybody's scootering everywhere. And the whole time I was like, where are all the yep. helmets? There's no helmets to be found. And I was, I was actually in Israel for three <laughs> weeks this summer and I was scootering the whole time with my kid. He w- we were both wearing helmets. But yeah, I was thinking, I mean, in certain in, in certain situations, it's inevitable that they're going to ride on electric scooters. Honestly, I think the amount of video games kids play these days is more dangerous than them being on a scooter or a bike or or playing minor league fill in the blank football, baseball, something. Mm-hmm. And I know Casey, you know, with your husband being who he is, I'm sure your kids are going to be athletically like, gifted. <laughs> but why do you say that about why do you say that about video games? Video games? Oh, screen time is is horrific. And it's basically like crack cocaine for kids. It it literally is. It's that it's that addicting for kids. Screen time. Do Video you games. age out of that or is that like a lifelong no. thing? It's a lifelong thing. It's something that I mean, especially I know Casey, we were talking about this a little bit last week. Teenagers or preteens now coming onto social media. It's, it's so unhealthy and it really, so, so this is what I mean that it's like, cocaine. what does it do uh, to the brain? Yeah. Like what does it actually, so physiolo- it what does it do? This, this, um, reward loop that every time they get a, like, uh, there's a dopaminergic surge in their brain and then another, like, and another, like, and it's basically trying to, to do something to get another, like, and, um, and it's, it's like, we say, or we used to say that um, uh, longer programs are better for kids rather than having shorter programs. Like if something's five minutes and then switches mm. to something else that it, it encourages inattention. And even a few years ago, we were looking at things that, that were five minutes in length being too short. And now on, on TikTok and, um, and YouTube, these short videos like are 30 seconds. 30 seconds, bam, bam, bam. 30 seconds. So every 30 seconds, basically they're getting another hit of dopamine. Mm-hmm. And it's just the swiping and the swiping and the clicking and the liking and the and then the constant feedback loop. It should never be that fast. So when we were younger and and this stuff wasn't as rampant, for you to do something and have a positive reward or or this dopaminergic surge, it could have been a day, it could have been a week, you know? 
you give your kid an allowance, they get money every day. And then at the end of the week, they could buy something. Now, if that kid doesn't get that hit every hour, let alone every day, they're craving it. And it's like, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. And that's why it's so dangerous. There's and, obviously and again, the problem every, here with the fact that every other kid is going to have social media. So there's the, and no matter what you do yeah. as a parent, there's going to be the influence from their friends and from the community and family of, of other kids that are coming in with social media. I myself am thinking now, my oldest child is almost three, and I'm like, she's never having social media, but I'm going to be realistic about it. Well, listen to what Sharon I know, did. I know I have to implement it at some point. Like, What in, in your eyes is an appropriate age to start to fold it into their life? So it's funny. I have this conversation with my older son, who's very, very, very intellectual and mature, like way beyond his years, in addition to being a trash can, you know, for food and, um, and whatever else I said before. He, anytime I tell him no about something, he comes back at me and says, yeah, but my friend is doing it. My friend has this, like um, he wanted a virtual reality headset. And I said, no, but, but so-and-so has it. So, and I would always say, you know, American Academy of Pediatrics says until you're 14. <laughs> they you're must absolutely hate that you're a doctor. Oh my God. American Academy of Pediatrics. Like my nine-year-old is like, why can't I have more screen time? I'm like, American Academy of Pediatrics is not until you're 14. Your brain's not developed and your head's not big enough. And you know, your eyes are going to become cross-eyed. And then he'll come back and say, yeah, but why can't I do this and this and this or whatever? And I said, listen, even if you're fully developed at 12, so he has a kid in his class who's 12, who's 5'8". I'm like, just because that kid's 5'8", can he get his driver's license? No, because the mm. frontal lobe in your brain is not developed. And until that frontal lobe is developed, you will make forever poor decisions, very poor <laughs> decisions. And that's, he gets that. He's like, oh, okay, fine. So it's not an age thing. It's a poor decision thing. And then he'll throw at me like, yeah, but I made this good decision and that good decision. And then I like pray like, just make a poor decision so I can throw in that example. Like, oh my God. How old is it different for boys and girls when they're developed? It's much, much harder for girls and for parents of girls because hormones kick in earlier. They, they hit puberty younger, but still their frontal cortex is not developed. Their prefrontal cortex is, is still tiny. Okay. But Um, okay. So I want, I want you to, talk about, cause we, we literally were on the phone gabbing for like an hour last week. So I want you to talk about what you and your, you and the parents in your son's class did, but I also want you to talk about what you just mentioned, why girls are hitting puberty earlier and what your thoughts are on that. But talk about the contract. So the contract, all of my kids, friends, moms, and I all agree that our kids should not be on social media and we want to delay them getting a cell phone as long as possible. So we basically all agreed that our kids are not going to be on social media and that way no one's pressuring anybody from doing this. And that's for my older son's class. And we started that years ago. And now this year, even for my younger son's class, so he's in third grade, um, another mom actually sent out a contract basically that we agree, if we choose to, we agree to not introduce social media to our kids. I love that. And um, of course, all the moms are thrilled to sign it. We all show our kids, like, by the way, we're signing this contract. So no social media for you. And it's something that even my seventh grade boy now 
again, no one in this class is on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or and and uh, is there a hundred percent participation throughout all the moms, 100% all the parents? Participate. Wow, that's yep, great. hundred percent participation. Are the girls in on it too, or it's just the boys? It's just the boys. Why is that? Why was the choice to just the boys? Why did did you reach out to the female moms or like what happened there? So in his school, they're at this age, they're separated, the boys and girls. And also because of the girls. So again, we all know that girls are more mature than boys. Parents of, of girls allow their girls to go to their friend's house by themselves and have more independence. So they wanted their kids to have phones just so their parents could could call them and say, hey, did you get there okay? Um, but I think a lot of them are are not on social media. And there are now, even if you get a smartphone for your kid, you can block certain apps. So I think a lot of apps are blocked. And um, but I'm not I'm not as familiar with it because my kid doesn't even have a phone. Which is great. Yeah. What are the penalties? If you breach the contract, if you're the weak mom in the class. (laughs) No, honestly, it's, I mean, kids these days, it's really all about peer pressure and and social pressure. So if most of the kids in your class are not doing something, you're the one doing it, then you're the odd man out. Then you're the one that it's like, all the kids are like, oh, I can't believe you have that. That's, you know, I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to talk to you about it. As a collective, do you have an age in which you're saying, okay, we're going to allow them to do it? Or you just haven't breached, you haven't got to that point yet? Oh my God. Honestly, I'm just from like a brain development standpoint. I'm thinking he's got to be at least 16 to even 35. know how to handle anything. <laughs> yeah. it's <laughs> He's just, married I, with two kids <laughs> and Sharon's like, all right. Happy 40th I birthday, son. <laughs> Here's your first cell now phone. You can have a phone. <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather my kid be like a, this is terrible. The dork, like the dork, be the dork. Yes, exactly. I'd rather my kid be a loser now and cool later on than, than the other way. I don't need my kid peaking. Don't peak in seventh grade, baby. We got you. Oh man. (laughs) How about it? What about for ourselves? I mean, it's so easy for, you know, we can say all that we want about restricting our kids, but then we're sitting over there scrolling you know, in over the kitchen, what should we be restricting ourselves to with social media? Yeah. No, honestly, now my little kid restricts me because when I put him to sleep at night, he's like, mommy, remember we have a rule, no cell phones at bed. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) you're right. You're right. (laughs) So he, he keeps me, you know, from scrolling at night as I'm putting him to sleep, which is, which is great. I need that because clearly I'm attached to my phone. I've been trying. I forget if I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I've been trying to implement from like five to seven, no phone zone, like leaving it in the other room. I don't want to be on it around my kids. I don't want them to see me on something and be like, oh, I want to watch that too. And why is it okay for me to watch and not them? And just the, the, like how easy it is to suck you into it. And like, you know, I'll go on my husband and I'll be talking about something and I'm like, oh, that's right. I have to order flowers for this party we're going to on Saturday. And I go on for one simple task. And then, you know, 30 minutes later I did seven other things and I missed that time with my kids. Yeah. No, the one thing that I heard in the past that sticks with me now which is for me, you, you want me to do anything, just target my mom guilt. And that's what, you know, I apologize in advance for, for saying this, but it worked. You don't want your kid to think that your phone is more important than they are. 
And the second they see that, that they see that you're paying more attention to your phone than you are to them, it's game over. And then also, I think part of it, it, it'll promote bad behavior because then they're going to do things to get attention from you so that you're not getting it from your phone. Okay. So especially with little ones, like if, if crazy behavior is coming out of nowhere, I mean, because with boys, you never know. And they really, they do things that you would have never thought possible. <laughs> A lot of it is, is trying to get your attention. That's, that's all they want. They want your attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they see that your attention is, is somewhere else, they're going to do what they can to get it. But also more importantly, you want to make sure that they feel they're the most important thing. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, that's when I find my daughter is like her whiniest if we're like trying to get something done on the phone and she's just not having having it. So, yeah, I agree with that. Well, she yeah. did have to she did have to get a new roommate nine months ago. She did she didn't sign up for that one. She did. She's, uh, <laughs> she's still still working on accepting it. But she's like a cat. It takes cats like a year to get used to another cat. So, yeah. This is my little kitty cat. Oh my gosh, we had the funniest picture yesterday. We had friends over and there were like six other kids literally in a circle around around my son's bouncy seat and they just loved him. And Sienna was just over on the couch eating chips. I was just like, I don't know what they see in him. This is crazy. One question that I'm sure you get so much is how important is sleep? Because I can function on six hours. I can function on five hours if I need to. And that's not good. And I know there's so many different studies with, oh, women will actually need six or they actually need seven. But how important is it? And what are the repercussions of it decades from now? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say every, so the easiest thing to say is we all need between seven, eight hours of sleep. Um, But it's not as important to have the seven to eight hours of sleep. What's more important is to get good sleep. So if you're woken up every five minutes, it's basically hitting all of your, all of the sleep cycles. So uh, hitting one, two, three, four REM sleep, one, two, three, four REM sleep. So if you're being woken up, which moms get woken up all the time, then you're really not getting that restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately I have no way around it because from the time your child is born until, I don't know, they move out of your house, you're going to be woken up. So it's it's really that restorative sleep that matters. So you asked me about the hormones for girls. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, my theory. Girls. So one of the things that I've noticed just in the population, so again, as a scientist, my population is basically my son's friends, but also just in general, I, I think as as women, we we can all kind of see that kids, especially girls, are hitting puberty earlier now than they were a decade ago and really even two decades ago. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is just uh, hormones that are that are in um, certain food, processed foods. Um, and for some reason, it seems to be affecting girls more than boys. Um, and I'm not sure what that's going to mean for the future generations, but uh, something that I remember learning back in medical school was just that uh, risk of breast cancer increases for those that do menstruate earlier, um, I guess, because their bodies have a, a longer, just a higher production of certain hormones. But again, I'm a neuroimmunologist, not a oncologist or a pediatrician or a hormone specialist. So take that with, you know, a grain of estrogen. But, um, <laughs> but that's something that that I've been noticing just in the population, it seems to be 
hitting sooner or harder. I meant to send this to you. I did tell Gianna about this, but I saw that a lot of um, fast food restaurants were being randomly tested. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but a lot of the chicken came back positive for hormones and in particular contraceptives. So they're not wanting these chickens to lay eggs if they're meat chickens. So going back to that theory, it's like, okay, well, birth control tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant, correct? Yeah. So if you're eating, if you're ingesting this birth control, you know, not directly, but indirectly, wouldn't that, like to your point, that could be the cause of it is what they're putting, like you said, into the food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just this... And we don't know this feedback loop of what's happening with with the hormones that are going in, what it's doing to kids um, and even adults, like if that increases risk of of cancer later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there is definitely a higher incidence of, of breast cancer. Um, and is that the, as simple as like making sure you buy food that says no hormones or no additives or grass fed or, you know, there's so many buzzwords now that you're like, oh, my gosh. Right organic isn't yeah, really no, organic. It's like. There are. And, um, and honestly, I, I don't have the answer to that. I really have no idea. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's so much that happens. I, I like to say I have, um, I have faith in, in the FDA and the CDC and, and these government regulations, but I think they could only look out for what they know about. And I think a lot of things are happening on the other end to get around certain regulations. It's kind of like what's happening in the, uh, with sports that there's always going to be a hormone that somebody could take that's not detectable. There's always going to be another drug that comes out that we don't know about until, you know, five, 10 years later that that can change somebody's Mm -hmm. metabolism, you know? Um, yeah, it's scary. It's, it's really scary, but you know, um, this is why we as moms can't rest. So there's always something <laughs> yeah, to think exactly. about. <laughs> right. We're always thinking oh my about God. it. Right. Well, that's good though in the long run. It'll keep us mentally sharp. Right. Sharon, right. you're the best. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for sure. being here. Thanks this was great. We covered, covered such a gamut of things. And I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing about the postpartum depression and the thoughts that you were having. You know, that's something that we really try to promote here on the show because it's something that women probably think they're going through alone and they're so not. So thank you so much for for sharing that. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to Mother Up. We have new episodes every Monday. In the meantime, follow us on social by searching at Mother Up Pod. Got a topic you want us to cover? A story you want us to share? Give us a shout on our website, www.motheruppod.com. Production support for today's episode provided by Katie Anderson, also a mom of HomeAway Studios. I'm Gianna Demedio simon And I'm Casey McDonald-Hosmer. Have a great week. And remember, whenever you're feeling down, mother up. <laughs>